Good morning. This is a response to Sean's solo recording, Alone in the Black Box. And as he mentioned in that recording, in that episode, I had encouraged him to do a solo recording because lately we've sort of felt um, a bit unmotivated to continue with our normal pattern. I think we both got a little bit bored with it. And so we thought we might change it up a bit, introduce um, a new format. But I will say that I wasn't expecting him. You, Sean, I'm not sure whether to refer to you in the third person or the second person. Uh, I'll go with third person. So I wasn't expecting Sean to record such a long episode, <laughs> and I mentioned that to him. So I'm going to try to set an example here myself and keep my thoughts short. Uh, now, the idea is that we'll have this kind of back and forth about a particular topic to narrow down what questions or what issues precisely we want to discuss with regards to that topic. And so I don't know how many times we'll go back and forth with solo recordings before we have uh, the climax of the conversational episode. So this is all the big buildup. Hopefully it um, pays off and is as exciting as I think it w is. it should be in my mind. So Sean made a lot of points, and I really enjoyed listening to his, his thoughts. One thing I like about it is the, you know, the, it makes it possible for us to speak more at length without the pressure of feeling like we have to have responses to one another or, you know, the conversational format is very nice, uh, but it also has its limitations. But I'll just reply, since I'm trying to keep mine short, to the main point that Sean was making about comparing ChatGPT in particular or an, an AI, artificial intelligence in general, with education or with teaching or learning in, in school. And I'll just, first of all, agree, like Sean made a big confession that he's never felt competent teaching the subjects and the topics that he was formally trained uh, to teach. And also, I totally understand what he's saying there. I, I have the same experience. I think it's a bit of an exaggeration to, feel, to say that it's incompetence. I think what it is, like he also explained uh, later on, the, the, really, the feeling is, is that an inability to execute a specific plan of um, a learning cycle, meaning from the beginning, having a plan, what you introduce the students to, what you uh, present to them, what you have them do in terms of learning activities, and, and then to see a result that you assess and that you evaluate and to see the result that you were targeting or that you wanted to see or that you were predicting to see. I think in so many cases, um, if, you, if you really tie your hopes to that as a teacher, in my experience. I don't, you know, others may have different experiences. But when a teacher really ties their hopes to a, seeing a specific outcome, they'll be disappointed more often than not. Um, and the kind of disappointment that I particularly have faced, and it's really kind of devastating to me, <laughs> is when I have an idea to teach the students uh, some kind of insight. And um, usually they don't come away with that insight that, that I was trying to help them to have to the extent that, but they could come away with a different insight or their own version of that insight, but it's never satisfying enough if I go into it with a particular insight that I have in my mind and I'm trying to transfer that insight to them. Uh, it's typically very disappointing because it just doesn't look the same. Whatever they get out of it is, is very different from what uh, I was hoping or I imagined that, that they would, would get out of it. So whether that's insight into a piece of literature, or more recently I've uh, started teaching social studies and history, so some insight into 
um, you know, human society or, or human, uh, the factors um, involved in events in history and things like that. So I definitely agree with Sean on that. And I think the point that he's, he's making there is that uh, we see curriculum as this plan that will produce a particular outcome that we believe to be beneficial for the students. And then that's the job of curriculum. That's the job of in- implementing curriculum is to put some inputs and get particular outputs. But because of the black box nature of the human mind or you know whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever mechanism there is or process there is for the student to get uh, receive inputs and then have outputs, if we use that analogy, uh, it's like a black box in the same way that um, you know as a user, if you use chat GPT or you use some kind of artificial intelligence, uh, I think what makes it more compelling is the fact that and which makes it seem more alive or more conscious or what makes it seem to be able to replicate or approximate actual intelligence is the fact that no one can exactly predict what the output is going to be. And, uh, and I think this is really the point because I don't know that much about the technical aspects of artificial intelligence or deep learning and things like that, which Sean was referring to. He probably knows more than I do, but I also, you know, not to offend Sean by saying, I think he also doesn't, you know, is not that knowledgeable about it, about the specifics. And so I, I, I think it's probably a mistake for us to, to get deep into that unless we're going to, you know, start researching that and learning more about it. But just from a really general point of view, I think at the very least, what seems to be clear is that the uh, artificial learning programs and tools, the, one of the points of them or one of the things that's considered an advance in it is that the the people who design them and program them don't program every aspect of it you know like they in fact they it's not the kind of machine where um the program spells out step by step you know the human created program spells out step by step everything that the that the machine is going to do in which case every output would be completely predictable if that were the case because the you know you could just run it directly through this uh process that's completely known to the designer or the programmer, but from what I, little I understand about artificial intelligence is that, sure, it starts with some kind of program uh, that's then trained, but the whole point of the training or the process that the, the program goes through is that there's a sort of self-construction involved in that process. Um, yeah, I guess that's as far as I'm going to go, unless Sean and I went to bring on an expert in, in artificial intelligence. But, and I think that's where the analogy with the human learner comes in, is because it's not like you just put some input and then you get a predictable output. It goes through this process inside the person or, you know, um, inside the person's mind, and you don't really know what's going to come out. Um, you can guess, and sometimes you'll be right. Uh, sometimes, most of the time, you'll be wrong, especially the more specific you try to be, the more likely you are to be wrong. Uh, okay, now this is already going on for a long time. But another thing I just wanted to quickly say is that I think one thing Sean and I have to do, and maybe with some feedback from listeners, is to narrow down what exactly are the interesting um, concerns or questions about artificial intelligence to explore more generally. Because even uh, yeah, in schools and in education or in society more 
more generally, there there's a variety of concerns and possibilities with artificial intelligence. Uh, like, for example, what I'm thinking of is one is just a sort of educational concern from the point of view of the institution of the school, which mostly has to do with things like different practices they have. And this is where the, you know, the death of the high school English class or the death of college English comes in, is because institutions, they have a way of teaching these subjects, um, English, for example. And what artificial intelligence seems to do is to make those ways of doing that obsolete, right? So this is one concern, is like, if you're an English teacher or you're, you know, a college has an English department, or high school has English classes, do you need those anymore or not? Are they just redundant? Are they obsolete? Are they useless? Um, or what practices of grading and assigning work are still um, viable um, with the possibility of students using artificial intelligence for those things? Uh, and then related to that, but a bit different, is just the question of whether those practices actually have any educational value, right, within an institution or outside of an institution, whether it's just worth it for a human being to go through those processes. Like, is there any value in learning to compose an essay anymore, you know, or a certain type of essay, like a summary, let's say. Is there any value in um, going through that process, that painstaking process of writing summaries? Or is that just something that now can be um, given to artificial intelligence to do, and humans don't need to do it anymore? Um, in the same way that um, probably with, you know, mechanical, uh, with calculators, a lot of uh, computation and with computers, a lot of computation has become kind of obsolete and you know just a waste of time, you could say, for humans to, to do it. So another one is a legal question, like with regard to intellectual property and uh, you know plagiarism more generally. It has to do with like yeah originality of work and those kinds of things. And this is a separate issue because you know uh, it's also related to educational institutions, but it more more broadly it has to do with um, you know, what work belongs to, to what people, and do they have any rights based on that? For me, the most important question or issue, but I'm not sure, I've tried to pose this to Sean several times uh, in the last uh, couple of months, uh, but he hasn't bitten on this <laughs> yet, so we'll see when we have our conversation if, it's, if he, he feels sufficiently inspired to discuss this. But there's an existential question when it comes to artificial intelligence. And I think this is really the underlying question that produces the most terror in people's imaginations. Uh, and it's related to the question of artificial intelligence kind of taking over the world. But um, more essentially, it's related to the question of what is a human being? And is there anything special about human beings that can't be replicated by a machine, right? Um, another way of saying it is when machines become advanced enough, will there really still be any difference between a machine and a human being? Um, and I think this is not only the most interesting question generally, but also the most interesting question for education and for schools. Because I think ultimately what a really valuable and good education does is it develops the human part of uh, of human beings. And what I mean by the, you might say, well, a human being is fully human, right? There's not like a human part and, and other parts. So let me just quickly explain uh, what I mean by that, and then hopefully that'll be the end of my recording. So I think we could, you know, we could categorize our activities um, 
uh, and our behaviors and actions as human beings, like the things that we do in our lives, we could call some of them mechanical and some of them human. Okay. So the mechanical ones, let's say, are the things that we do that can be replicated by machines. And we can see examples of this most easily if we look at those things that have already been replicated by machines and are being done by machines, like work that's being done by machines that humans uh, used to do, right? That in previous, at, in previous points in history, you might have thought that it, you have to be a human to do those things. Uh, so like I said, um, mathematical computations could be one of those things, right? Um, but also other many very physical things where physical machines have replaced human beings in doing those things. And so I won't give more examples because I think it's, it's pretty easy for everyone to, to think of examples of that. And then we, let's say that there's a certain set or domain of human activity that is human, right? Essentially human, meaning that nothing else, no other type of being uh, could do those things except for a human. Now, the crisis, sort of existential crisis that artificial intelligence seems to bring is the question of, as machines, you know, the frontier of what machines can do advances, it seems to shrink the, the scope or the domain or the um, area of activity that human beings, that makes human beings special, right? And I think writing and language is, a, is an especially sacred ground where humans for a long time have, you know, told themselves that this is what makes us special. This is something that machines will never be able to do. Also related to that is art, you know, or the pr production of images, which is another uh, recent advance in artificial intelligence that's gotten a lot of attention. And, you know, before we would, we may have thought, well, you know, a computer will never be able to write poetry, for example, or produce beautiful images. Uh, or imaginative images. Um, and then if we see sort of hints of that or um, examples of that, instances of that that kind of astonish us that we wouldn't have expected, then it kind of shakes the foundation of what we had previously assumed to be, you know, the um, special domain of, of humans. And but the question I think that we, we need to ask ourselves about that, and I'll re relate this back to education and to school, is that I think what it should make us consider is that maybe our current way of being human in the world, like what we consider to be the life and existence of a human being, is not as human as we think it is. It's actually very mechanical. Um, and that's, you know, and then there's either, there's two, let's say at least two possibilities. One is that there is nothing specially human. There is no activity or no work or no um, action or way of being, a way of existing that is specially human. And that uh, because, for example, if one believes that humans are kind of just biological machines anyway, then, then yeah, like if uh, being able to make manufacture machines gets to the point where you can, um, where a machine can do all of those things, then either you call the machine human now, right? Or you say, well, the hum this thing that we called human before, which we thought was so special, is actually just like all the other uh, machines. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is that, no, there is something special about human beings and this the advancing of machines forces us to consider and discover what that really is and to recognize the degree to which we have been 
existing not as human beings, but as machines up until this point. Now, let me just quickly bring it back to schools and education, and then I'll end my thoughts. So schools, of course, you know, a big part of their job and a big part of education and learning is to learn uh, mechanical things, actions and tasks, and knowledge associated with, with performing mechanical tasks. Um, and so obviously, I'm not, well, not obviously, I mean, I could be arguing for this, but, but I'm not saying that schools should top, stop teaching everything mechanical. Um, but it may be the case that once a mechanical thing is, is, uh, becomes unnecessary for human beings to do, then it's not really, there's no reason for them to keep doing it, right? Or maybe only a few of them need to do it, whereas before many, you know, of them needed to do it. Um, but also schools should not just be teaching mechanical things, right? They should be teaching human things. Uh, and I think the human outputs that we want from school are those that it's harder to predict and to plan for through curriculum. This was like the example I was saying. Whenever I wanted to teach my students an insight, like a human insight, let's say, if we call it that, it's too hard to know because how to do that because everyone is coming with a different set of experiences. Like Sean was saying, everyone is, uh, has a unique, um, you know, the, the condition of their knowledge and understanding of things is, is different. Uh, they're at a different stage in their development. They have different questions that are, um, you know, important and salient in their minds. So the human development of, of like the, the humanity of a person is so uh, unique to the, to the person that it becomes very, uh, you know, misguided, I think, to have a curriculum that says, like, this is going to develop this person into a human being. It's with the mechanical things that we can, you know, it's more possible to plan because they're, very, they're more specific, you know, outcomes that, that you want. So, like, for example, if you want to teach a person to do a specific task, of course you can do that. You can create a curriculum for that. Um, and the more mechanical the task is, the more successful, the more predictable the outcome can be. The less mechanical it is, the more you're going to run into the problem of the black box that Sean was, was uh, referring to. Uh, and this is really the crisis, uh, in my mind, that we're confronted with, with things like ChatGPT, is because this thing that we thought before was not mechanical, um, which is writing, you know, doing this kind of academic writing that is used to evaluate students in class, it turns out that machines can do that and, and do it pretty well. Um, but maybe this just forces us to recognize that that thing we were asking students to do, which we thought was was a real test of their, you know, some essentially human dimension of their existence is actually very mechanical. And it, it shows our kind of low standard, maybe, for what it means to be a human being. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. That's my response to Sean. Not sure what to call this one. Maybe joining Sean in the black box. Uh, something like that. All right. Goodbye.